That is the best news in the world, isn't it? Let's thank God. God, we are so grateful. That is the best news in the world. And we just, we just take that deep into our souls this morning, and we thank you, because you made that possible, God. You made that possible by coming and living and dying and rising again for us. So God, our prayer this morning is that we would do whatever it takes to let the rest of the world know that amazing news, that we would not keep it for ourselves, but that we would see a world around us that is starving for this good news. God, would you unleash us in this room. Unleash us into our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our families, wherever you want to send us, God. Whatever it takes, we want others to feel that joy that we feel in knowing that we are your children. So thank you for that mission you're giving us, Lord, and thank you that you go ahead of us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And that you do amazing things when we step out in faith. Thank you, Jesus. We pray it all in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we want to um, have a special time of prayer this morning before we move into our message time. Pastor Bill is leaving later this week for a general conference in Um, St. Louis, and this is when United Methodists from all over the world come together, um, who've been elected to represent um, their local areas, and Bill's been uh, elected by our, the the pastors in our Upper New York Annual Conference to represent all of us to the General Conference. This is uh, a time when some really important decisions are going to be made about the future and the direction of our greater global United Methodist Church, and um, Bill's got an important part to play in that. So I'm going to invite you to come and, and kneel here, and anybody who will, would like to can just come and lay hands on him, and um, let's just really send him out with God's blessing, because he's got some hard work ahead of him this week. Stand right up here. All right, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for Pastor Bill's willingness to be used by you. This isn't easy work, and it can feel like a heavy burden sometimes to stand up for truth and to to really listen to what you're saying and to try to hold firm. So God, would you lift that burden from his shoulders and just carry it yourself? And would you give him such a lightness of spirit and so much peace and joy in the midst of this challenging week ahead that he just knows every moment that you are carrying him, that you are going ahead of him and coming along behind him. Please protect him 
in body, mind, and spirit. We pray for all those 864 delegates who will be making decisions this week. May they all be led and guided by your wisdom, your heart, your spirit. May you be glorified, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all. As you're uh, making your way back to your seats, I just want to let you know that next Sunday um, we'll be having a special service of music, uh, some of your favorites, and prayer, and testimonies. We'll be hearing from our... um, our youth who are in New York City this week, and uh, also you'll have the opportunity to share some stories about what God's been doing in your life. If you have a friend or a neighbor that you've been thinking about saying, you know, I should invite them to church sometime, this would be a great Sunday to do that. This coming Sunday um, is going to be this special service, so um, I hope that you will Pray about who you can invite and uh, come with an open heart because I think uh, God's going to do some special things there among us. So our scripture this morning is Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. A new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is God's word for us today. God, thank you that you just keep speaking to us. You keep calling to us. We're so grateful for that. Help us to hear your voice today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, seven weeks ago, at the beginning of January, we started this journey looking at the big picture of the Bible, the, the view from the, the drone shot way up high, trying to get a look at what's the, the, the whole plot of the Bible. And we've been looking at this long story and saying, how could we make it short into six simple movements and really get a uh, a hold of the plot of the Bible. When we started out on this journey, we recognized that God is a God of beginnings, right? The whole story begins with this phrase, in the beginning, right? 
in the beginning. God is a God of beginnings. And now at the end of our journey, we discover we're still celebrating beginnings. That uh, the Bible doesn't end with the words, the end, but really it ends with a new beginning. It ends with a declaration that is all about beginnings. Verse five of Revelation 21 says, I am making everything new. That's the Lord speaking there. I'm making everything new, a whole new beginning. That statement is full of invitation, isn't it? The end is kind of like the end. Nothing more you can do. But this ending that we see in the Bible is an invitation. I'm doing something new. It's, you know, popular religion often refers to the end of the world. Um, But Revelation speaks rather of a, a whole wonderful new beginning and gives us a really wonderful snapshot of it here, doesn't it? Just this little bit at the beginning of Revelation. If you were to read those last few chapters, you'd see this kind of image throughout. A new heaven and a new earth, he talks about. He says, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That's our, our heaven and earth as we're familiar with it. Um, and then he says, and there's no longer any sea. The sea in um, Bible imagery is often the place of, of evil and mystery and darkness. And he's saying, even that seat of evil is gone. No more. No more darkness. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And he gives us this great image, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You've all been to weddings, haven't you? And seen that moment when the groom is standing up front and the doors open and suddenly the bride comes in and everyone stands up and that look on the, on the groom's face When I'm doing weddings, that's the point at which I always have to say, no, don't cry. You cannot cry through this whole ceremony if you're leading it. There's something that's just wonderful about that moment, isn't there? And and that's the image he uses here for this new thing that God is doing. The old heaven, the old earth are going to be swept away and he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Not just a place of ethereal clouds, but a a, a real physical earth that's been renewed that we get to be a part of. It's true that the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, but that doesn't seem to be the point of what John is focusing on here. The point is the new. And to get to the new, we have to see the end of the old. That's basically the the whole point of Revelation. Out with the old, in with the new. A giant, once and for all, spring cleaning. This newness is so vast, so complete. He's trying to help us wrap our minds around it. The one who's sitting on the throne, the Lord, Jesus, says, see, I am making all things new. Not just touching it up around the edges. I'm making all things new. 
You know when you do a, um, a, a little bit of um, painting or fixing something in your house, maybe you paint one wall in your living room, then you suddenly look around and go, you know, the rest of these walls look kind of bad. So you paint those, and then you're like, man, the ceiling really looks bad now, so I gotta paint that. And then, you know, this carpet, <laughs> now that the walls and the ceiling are out with the carpet, we tend to do things little by little, and we can see that it's, there's always more that needs renewal, isn't there, in our world. Jesus is saying, I'm making all things new. So we're not coming to the end of the story, even though we're at the end of the Bible, we're, we're at a whole new beginning. Isn't that exciting? That the Bible tells us this story doesn't really end. It's a new beginning. I think it's especially exciting if you've traveled with us through the whole grand sweep of the biblical story. Remember where we started? We started way back at how it all began. We called that creation. Let's, uh, there's a nice word that begins with C for all these to help you remember them. So um, say that with me, creation. creation. That was the first one. And then we got to what went wrong. We called that crisis. Say that with me, crisis. And then after the creation and the crisis, we got to God's people of hope, how God chose Abraham and Sarah to start a whole new people that would begin this new story. We called that calling. Say that with me, calling. So we've got creation, crisis, calling, and then God shows up in the flesh. We call that Christ. Say that with me, Christ. Okay, and then we got to last week how God sends us to continue the story. We call that church. Say that with me, church. And then today is the new creation, or we could say completion. Say that with me, completion. All right, think we can say them all in order? Let's try it. Ready? I got cheat sheet here. So creation, crisis, calling, Christ, church, completion. You guys are awesome. Now you know the whole story of the Bible, the long story short in six simple movements. That's the plot. That's the plot of the story. And as you've seen, as we've gone along, we humans have a remarkable, remarkable talent for getting in trouble, don't we? That's woven throughout the story. Ellsworth Callis, in his book, The Grand Sweep, that gives a, an overview of the Bible, he's, he puts it this way, give us an Eden and we'll find a way to be evicted. Wash the world clean with a flood and we'll soon dirty it up again. Find us a chosen people and they will soon enough make us wonder why they were chosen. Send us the Son of God and we will crucify him. We have such an ability for messing things up. We need an absolutely new beginning. An absolutely new beginning. Revelation makes that new beginning really clear and really vivid. And if you've read Revelation, you know it's not a very, um, well, it's not delivered in a very conventional fashion. It's a wild ride. <laughs> If you try to read through this whole book, you get into the first few chapters and you're like, wow, this really makes sense. 
wonder what the problem is. And then you get about four chapters in and you're like, ooh, this is getting weird. This is getting strange. This is getting a little disturbing. There's all these images of dramatic and exotic things. And you think, maybe I need a seatbelt to read this. I wonder if John, who's writing this, knows how it's going to all turn out. But don't worry. In the end of Revelation, we all reach our desired destination, which is a new beginning. Really, the whole purpose of this book is to get the world ready for its new beginning. And in a sense, it involves some massive birth pangs which is why I think Revelation is so dramatic in so many ways. Beginnings are often painful, aren't they? Even joyful ones. If you think about any kind of new beginning, birth or death, going to a new school, getting your driver's license, moving, whatever one thinks about, there is gonna be some pain involved in every new beginning. And our world, with all its brokenness and ugliness and filth, it needs to go, and it is not a tidy process. That's what Revelation's describing. Callus puts it this way. If it seems to you this book is sometimes grotesque in its scenes and symbols, ponder for a while the massive, ages-long evil with which it is dealing Makes sense, doesn't it? What's amazing is not how messy it is, but that a cure is even possible. Friends, that is a word of hope for us today. A cure is possible. Because we live in a messy, broken world, don't we? And man, I want to know it's not the end of the story, don't you? that this isn't where it all ends in this messiness and brokenness. The world is not coming to a spiral and going down the drain. It's coming to a new beginning. That's the witness of scripture. That's the witness of scripture. The word that ends it all is a word for beginning again, new. I am making all things New, he says. And listen to this description, verse three and following. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. I like how the, the old, uh, older translations puts it, put it. Behold. That gets your attention, doesn't it? Behold. <laughs> look. God's dwelling place is now among the people. Can you even imagine what that means? Because God dwells in hiddenness most of the time from us. We long to see more of him. And that's one of the great struggles and heartbreaks of our existence. Where is God? Why is he so hidden? We see him showing up now and then, but we long to see him more. Can you imagine a time and a place where God's dwelling is right among us? There's no hiddenness. He's right there. There's no wondering or waiting. He's right there among us. He says, he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them 
and will be their God. He says it three times in that little sentence. God's dwelling place is among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That, that's amazing. And then he talks about what life will be like in that new, new heaven and new earth. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amazing, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I'm making everything new. He talks about a land where all tears are wiped away with God himself doing it, where death is no more, where crying and pain will be no more, no more goodbyes, only hellos. We can hardly wrap our minds and hearts around such good news. It will be a land of beginnings because our God is a God of beginnings. Even when we come to a book that we thought would be the end, our Lord is a Lord of beginnings, a new beginning for our world, a new beginning for us personally. You know, Christianity is not just about getting to heaven so we can float on clouds all day and learn to play the harp. I think it would be fun to learn to play the harp, but that's not what this is all about. It's about finally being part of something that will renew the whole created order. That's what we get to be a part of by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and being a follower of Jesus Christ. That is world-changing stuff at the deepest level. And you know, knowing the end of the story can really give us hope. It gives us courage to sustain us through this part of the journey that can often seem very long and very lacking in hope. There was a, an interview that uh, Rolling Stone magazine did with John Lennon just after he um, quit, the, uh, quit the, the Beatles, after he decided to leave the biggest rock band in the world. And everyone around the world was saying, why would you do it? Why would you break up this you know, most popular gig that's ever been uh, on stage? Why would you leave the Beatles? At one point, the reporter asks John Lennon, would you take it all back? And Lennon says, what? Take what back? And he says, being a Beatle? And John Lennon pauses for a long moment, and then he says, if I could be a fisherman, I would. Actually, I think he put a little bleep in there, too. If I could be a bleeping fisherman, <laughs> I would. That sounds more like John Lennon, but this is church, so I'm not going to say that. At first glance, that might seem like a strange thing to say. A fisherman? I mean... I think what he meant was, if I could go back and rewrite my story, I'd do it differently. If I could go back and replace that chapter in my life where I became so famous that I couldn't even walk out the door, I became a celebrity or an icon or even like a god, if I could go back and rewrite that chapter, I would do it and maybe replace it with a chapter where I make a living fishing, something more peaceful. If I could insert myself 
in a different story, I would, is what he seems to be saying. His answer is the precise reason why this story of the Bible should matter to you or to me or to anyone, any human being. It should matter for the simple reason that far too many people from all walks of life, famous or not, feel a little bit like John Lennon. We all have wished at some point or another that we could be part of a more fulfilling story, that we could go back and rewrite part of our story. We wish that we had at some point taken a different path in life, maybe chosen a different major in college or a different spouse or different friends. We may wish that we hadn't wasted so much time worrying about what that person thought about us or trying to earn more money or trying to avoid facing our pain. We all want to be part of a story that's significant, a story that tells us our lives really mattered. And at some point, we face our own faults and our own failures and our own limitations, and we realize we can't do this on our own. We want to be part of a better story than we can write for ourselves. You know what I mean, right? I'm guessing you've all been to that point. I cannot write the story for myself that I know I want to. I can't do it. That's where God's invitation to us comes in. His invitation to enter his story. The story that we see in scripture. The story that he is writing. And to make that our story. A story so big and beautiful and true that it gives everything meaning. It goes right back to the beginning of creation. And it stretches through all of human history and it ties all of reality together and it moves toward a future that has a real hope and grace to it. God invites us to enter his story and to make it our story and let him write our story. How do we do that? We do it by faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it really clear Really simple. This is what Jesus came to make possible for us. And if we will humble ourselves and say, God, I really need you. I can't write this story on my own. And I have screwed it up on my own. So I need your forgiveness. I believe you've made a way for me to be forgiven. You've paid for my sins. And I just want to let you write my story from now on. Every day. Every day. Letting God be in the driver's seat, putting our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, the new creation is not just about the end of time, <clears throat> not just about when the new heaven and the new earth come fully to be here, which we believe it will. The new creation actually starts right here and right now, and that is such good news. Joshua McNall puts it this way, the startling message of the New Testament is that new creation broke into this old world on the day when Jesus sat up inside a borrowed tomb, wiped the sleep of death from his eyes, and walked confidently into the morning sun. 
That was the moment that the new creation began here in this world in which we live. What God did for Jesus, raising him from the dead, he can do to, for all of us as well. Jesus was the first, but that's the gift that he's offering to all of us. A few months ago, Bill and I went and saw the movie First Man. Anybody else go see that? It was about Neil Armstrong. You didn't go see it. It was a good movie. You should go see it. It's probably gone now. Um, It's a good movie. It was about uh, Neil Armstrong and his journey to be the first man who walked on the moon. And before he did that, nobody knew. Is it possible to send a man to the moon and bring him back alive? There was a lot of speculation that that would not ever be possible. You couldn't get someone all the way to the moon and bring him back alive. But Neil Armstrong and those with him proved it was true. After that, we knew it was possible. It's the same way with Jesus. He was dead, and God brought him back to life. So now we know. Now we know it's possible. New creation is not just about the end of time. It's about already seeing it come to life and breaking through in this world. We see it. We see that new creation breaking through in all different kinds of ways. We see it when someone opens their home to foster or adopt a child who needs a family. We see it when someone trapped by addiction finally finds freedom. We see it when uh, a married couple who chooses, who want to give up, choose the path of forgiveness instead. We see it when People who have a million other options choose to show up week after week to be part of their church family and encourage each other. We see the kingdom of God, the new creation, breaking through. And we enter that story, this story, God's story. We enter it by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. When we put our faith in Christ, we begin the new creation and make it alive right here. During this winter, um, Bill and I have had fun um, doing puzzles. We're becoming like our parents, doing puzzles in the winter. But it's really fun and it's something like magically stress relieving to get all those chaotic pieces and put them together. So under the tablecloth on our dining room table, we've had a puzzle going for about, I don't know, this is our second one that we've done since Christmas. So the last eight weeks or so, we've been working on puzzles. And this one that we're working on now is a a painting by a painter called George Seurat. And any of you who took art history might remember him. He's uh, a painter who paints in the style of pointillism, which means that instead of drawing lines, everything is a series of tiny little dots, which is great when you're looking at it from far away. It makes a nice picture, but every single puzzle piece is just a bunch of little dots that looks like nothing. They all kind of look the same. We dumped out all those pieces on our table and we were like, this is totally impossible. Why did we ever pick this puzzle? (laughs) So it's easy to get drawn in and do 
work on that puzzle for way longer, way longer than I should, because it's just really satisfying. So what I've been doing when I'm too busy to do the puzzle, I walk by the table and I say, okay, I'm gonna do one piece. <laughs> I'm just gonna work on this till I can get one piece in there. And it's so satisfying to get that one piece, pop it in the picture, and the picture becomes a little more clear. All those pieces that are left to go in just look like a smudge of color. But the picture that's coming together really is this beautiful scene that makes sense. You know, every time you say yes to God, every time you say, God, not my will, but yours, you're allowing him to put you into the picture of the new creation, to take your piece of the story and to put it into that picture of the new creation so that it comes more and more to life and makes more and more sense. We're gonna sing together a song in a moment and Brandon, you can come forward. And you'll see in this song parts of this whole story from beginning to end, from creation all the way to completion. God's invitation to us is to say yes. Yes, God. Take my life, my piece of the puzzle every day and put it in to that picture you're creating of the new creation so as we sing together, I hope you'll have a conversation with God. And I hope that you will listen for the next yes that he's inviting you to say. Let's stand and sing together. <laughs>